Welcome once again into the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. We are here every day. My name is Max Bretos. You can catch the Soccer OG World Cup Daily where all podcasts are available in audio form. You can also catch it in video form. See what I'm wearing every day. Light denim, acid wash, very, very stylish. On my YouTube channel, Max Bretos, check out all my social media handles so you can follow along the games. Is there anything better than live tweeting during the World Cup? It is just phenomenal. I love it. I love it. I just can't tweet enough. And so we can see on TikTok, there are all my handles. You know, we almost lost Twitter, supposedly. I don't know if we were still losing it. A lot of accounts I remember being told, that's it, I'm out, I'm no longer tweeting. And then they're tweeting again 20 minutes later. I'm fine with that, just don't tell me you're getting off. I was assuming you're coming off, so I thought it was the end of it. We are narrowing down the field, can you believe it? We have half of the uh, World Cup round of 16 settled in. Let's take a look at the bracket, beautiful stuff. There you see uh, the bracket. It's all coming into view. You can see the United States, Netherlands. We have that matchup. We have Australia, Argentina. We also have France, Poland, and then we have England, Senegal. It almost got a little more wacky, but obviously with Australia making it through, uh, all was well. But you know, we will talk about the the Mexico game with uh, Saudi Arabia and how. They just couldn't catch Poland, but that would have been great for CONCACAF. It would have been good for the tournament to see, uh, you know, the world represented. Obviously good for Telemundo, who's covering the, the event so that they can be engaged. It's good for us here in the U.S. We want to talk Mexico. If we can get USA and Mexico, it just makes this tournament so much more. Mexico's not going to stop covering the World Cup, but it leaves a void. Certainly the way we, from our perspective in the United States here in North America, we will get into it. So I'm going to cover the big story right here on our show today, and that is the preview for the United States facing Argentina on Saturday, December the 9th. It's sitting there. It's sitting there. We're excited. We're in the round of 16. How do we feel, U.S. fans? You got to feel good about the day after knowing you get to watch these games and there's no risk of you guys getting knocked out of the groups. You get to sit there and watch the team squirm and suffer. Well, you've got your feet up on the Ottoman already in the round of 16. Seeing teams drop shockingly like Denmark. But now this USA, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but we talked about how USA-England would be the biggest game in the uh, televised. And the ratings have been... I, I you know, they were the, the, the England game, and it was on the weekend. You figured it would touch somewhere between, I thought, 25 million. I think it was... Closer to 20 million viewers, which is a good number, but I just thought that there would... You want to get the attention of everyone. The uh, game against Iran, last I checked on Fox, remember this was during the week, weekday here on uh, Tuesday, 12 million viewers, about 11.7 million average. Good. It's obviously a great number, but you want these blockbuster numbers to show that the, the, the game has arrived. Now... If the USA faces Argentina, which uh, would be the Friday the 9th, so it wouldn't be a weekend, but man, Lionel, could that be the one? Could that be the $25, $30 million number? $30 million. $25, $30 million viewers? Certainly could. We'll talk about what Argentina did. They're getting a lot better. But the US team, 
there's a lot to be excited about. Tomorrow we'll have the USA Netherlands preview. So we'll just we'll get into this actual matchup. There is meat on this bone for the US. There are possibilities. As we said yesterday, you're not facing France, you're not facing Brazil, you're not facing a resurgent Argentina team. You're facing a Dutch team who just like you didn't qualify for the World Cup four years ago, who just like you still struggles a bit to score goals even though they did get five goals in this group. I would say if the US were in a group with Qatar, they would have got some goals too. Still, the US got uh, two goals and got the most of it. So there are some things there and we'll be, uh, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the line, what people say, what happens with obviously the big stories with Christian Pulisic as well as Josh Sargent. Are they ready to go? The latest on that, there really isn't a whole lot. It's a waiting game for Christian Pulisic. Nothing really new to report as he just has to, you know, he's, he's not in the hospital. He's, he's with the camp. He's just got to let the, the pelvic, the swelling and the bruising of the, uh, the pelvic contusion to go down. Uh, he has already said, you better bet I am going to play on Saturday. The U.S. doctors and health staff know them all very well. Uh, they are excellent. Uh, and the reason you know that is because a lot of people from across the world use these guys too. That's how well regarded they are. So they'll do their best to get Christian Pulisic. Josh Sargent, injured ankle. He had an, an ankle injury with Norwich, but it's the different ankle. So he was getting a scan on that. No reports on that. I apologize if I don't have the latest and greatest. Josh Sargent is pretty critical here because I don't know if you can play Haji Wright in this Dutch game, certainly with that back three. You want guys that can kind of break down the Dutch. The Dutch want to take away that space. They have a very busy midfield, and I think you've got to have to have a, a more mobile striker. Josh Sargent's not scoring goals. I wish someone was scoring goals from that position, but you've got to take what you can get, and he's really good at hold-up play and moving around the channels, right? He was getting out on the flanks and alternating pretty well with Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah. So those are two big things. I mean, if Christian Pulisic and Josh Sargent can't go, then the U.S. are in a bit of a dilemma. The Dutch have got a pretty clean slate. The only issue is they haven't been playing all that great. So you want to see if they are able to, uh, uh, if there's going to be any entanglement. Sometimes no entanglements is an entanglement. And we'll see about that for the Netherlands. The U.S. have won in the 92-year history of the World Cup. They weren't there in the early editions. Has one victory, one knockout victory, round victory, pardon me, has one victory over European teams in uh, the history in, of this competition. 19 games against English opposition, one win, 11 losses, seven ties. The one win, correct? Who was that? Was that you, uh, Egbert, in, uh, where is that? Stockton, California? Well done, Egbert. Yes, it was the victory over Portugal in 2002, 3-2 that helped them extend there. But look, they've played well against European teams here. The tie against England, the tie against Wales, and um, this Netherlands team, somewhere in between those two, right? Better than Wales, not at the level of England. Uh, the U.S., they also said they haven't played well on the road, but the U.S. have navigated through here away. I think there's a, a misperception. Like when we look at the U.S. playing in the United States, this is a young team. So when they play on the road for these friendlies in front of an empty stadium, these are kids. They don't get excited about that. You could see the enthusiasm when they're playing in a packed stadium in a World Cup game. 
It's a different kind of road game. So I think it's a bit of a misperception about how poor the U.S. are on the road. They'll get up for these big games, and they certainly approve that here. This is a huge opportunity. The Netherlands are going to be a pretty significant favorite. We'll get more into that here in the, uh, the days ahead, including tomorrow. I did want to talk about a story that applies to the U.S., and it's about the uh, U.S. women's national team benefiting from the collective bargaining agreement that they agreed on. And because the U.S. men were into the round of 16, that means it's a guaranteed prize money, $13 million. So that split between U.S. soccer, the men, and the women. So it's a landmark equal pay decision split down the middle, so $6.5 million each. And that is the biggest payout the women have had. Historically, in the World Cups, when the U.S. won it in 2015, they made $2 million. 2019, $4 million. The money's going to get better in the women's game uh, as it stands right now. But the, uh, it, it was, look, the, the women banked on the men. That's a good thing, isn't it? They want equal pay, and they knew they could get more money if the U.S. were successful. So the U.S. women must have thought the U.S. were going to be successful. So that's excellent, right? I think so. And now the men can bank on the women because the women's game is on the up and up. You've seen the growth in these last two World Cups. This World Cup coming up in Australia and New Zealand next summer, it's going to be the biggest women's sporting event of all time. And of course, it's not the men's money. And all, look, let's, let's be realistic here. The men's World Cup tournament uh, and the women's World Cup tournament are two different animals. The, women, the U.S. women have done their part, but the rest of the world has not raised that profile. But I'll tell you this, the, it is the top, for me, the top growth sport. It is women's soccer and women's mixed martial arts are the two big growth sports in the world that you want to invest in. So the U.S., with this collective bargaining agreement, the men, have invested in the women's game. So it's all good. It's all good. Everyone's happy, right? Good. We have that World Cup to look forward to next summer after we enjoy all of this. Let's get into the games from... Wednesday, and we begin in with Tunisia and France, Australia and Denmark. That was Group C. This was the first, the final match day, obviously. So you have for the second straight day scoreboard watching. I'm going to start with Tunisia, France. Uh, Tunisia getting the victory. Wabi Kazri gets the goal in the 58th minute. Late on, Antoine Griezmann scored. Uh, it was later disallowed. So as it stands alone, a famous victory for Tunisia. And by my count, that is five wins for African teams here in uh, Qatar. They already have one team in the round of 16 in Senegal. I am really keen on seeing what the African teams are going to do because I didn't think that they were going to have a great World Cup. I only had Senegal making the round of 16. However, Tunisia, who beat France and tied Denmark, and that wasn't good enough to get to the round of 16. Unfortunately, they lost to Australia. Probably should have made it too. Morocco, they are in a position to get through. They are, uh, we will uh, we'll talk about their game here in a moment as it stands in Group F. But they should get through. They just got to get a result against Canada. So Morocco should make it. You might get three teams. Ghana looked really impressive. So in their Group H clash, Ghana has a shot. So they will get two teams, maybe three. And if Cameroon pulls off a result, not far-fetched. Can you imagine four African teams in the round of 16? My guess it's going to be two. Two and a half, somewhere there. Can't have a half, obviously. So disappointment for Tunisia. We'll, we'll let you know what happened to them as it applies to the Australia result. Some concerns for France. 
We know that they were uh, their roster has been uh, hit hard via injuries, and we wonder how deep they can be. And the answer after this Tunisia game is they're not that deep. They can't afford to go too far down the pecking order. It was an alternate starting 11. Kamavinga comes in, Kingsley Coman, Fofana, Genduzi, Jordan Veretout, and they didn't get it done. In the end, Didier Deschamps brought in Mbappe in the 63rd minute, Griezmann in the 73rd, Usmani Dembele. He wanted to get the result. He didn't want to lose to Tunisia. So he had to use the star players, so they did get some minutes. And I think moving forward, if France gets stretched a bit, it could be a problem. Now, they're in pretty good shape. They're going to get Poland in the round of 16. But just, um, I mean, everyone has concerns. This is a minor one. No one's very deep here. We figure the French are the deepest, but what I'm saying here, they can't really afford one of the key players to go down here because the backups didn't come up. I mean, that's a bad loss. As it stands, that's a, that's a victory they're going to talk about for, for decades in Tunis. Excellent. Australia versus Denmark, really the, the biggest shock results in this competition. Australia ranked 38th. The Socceroos, it's worth mentioning too. Australia, like the United States, call it soccer. Um, I know there's been a movement to call it football because Australia is in the Commonwealth. It would make sense for them to call it football, but they still call it soccer. Socceroos. This was a Danish team that is ranked 10th in the world. Full clarity, full transparency. I had them making a final in my bracket. Massively disappointing. We talked about it yesterday. 27 points in 10 World Cup qualifiers. And in... This World Cup, they scored a goal against France, did not score against Tunisia, did not score against Australia, just don't have strikers. Christian Eriksen was completely nullified. I thought he had an okay tournament, but he just couldn't connect with anyone, and that falls on Christian Eriksen's shoulders. So uh, the Danes just, I, I can't even imagine. So I, we said this to everyone at the U.S. camp yesterday, and we were breaking down the U.S. performance, and people had some criticism. I mean... Imagine you're in Copenhagen right now or Odense. You just got knocked out at the hands of Australia who have players that we don't know about. We're getting to know them. I'm sure they know about Matthew Leckie who had this incredible counterattack goal. If you check out the highlight, Denmark was pressing and pressing and pressing. They're right at the Australia goal. They turn it over, three, four passes. Leckie wide open, no resistance from Denmark. Leckie scores. And that is the game winner. Australia was, had an expected goal in this game. The Danish had a 5.97. That means they were expected to score six goals. So uh, Denmark not getting a goal was just absolutely shocking. Now we, uh, I have a question about the, the European teams. Poland should have been out. Denmark out. Wales out. Are, are, are they a bit overvalued? I think so. The European powers will do well, but that next tier of European teams haven't done well. Well done, Australia. They will face Argentina, and I wouldn't underestimate them. Poland, Argentina, and Mexico, Saudi Arabia. Let's go through this group. We'll start with Argentina. They win the group. Uh, Poland was remarkable early on. They kept bending, but not breaking. You know, it's like they would allow the pressure in Argentina for 45 minutes. That was a scoreless game. There was a penalty awarded to uh, Lionel Messi in Argentina. And I got to say something because a lot of people said it was a penalty. And I, I don't want to support a sport where the goalkeeper, Wojciech Szczesny, hits in 
and barely grazes his head with his hand, and that's a penalty. This is a contact sport. I mean, if it's a malicious hit, yes, but this is way too soft. And we gave him the penalty. Thankfully, Chesney saved it, his second penalty save in this competition. And Argentina really pour it on in the second half. Uh, right at the beginning of the second half, interesting story. Alexis McAllister scored the goal. And I want to tell you a story about the McAllister family. They're like the Mannings of Argentina. I mean, not as great as the Mannings were, but they are the, a, a footballing family that performed very well. Alexis's father, Carlos, Carlos McAllister, played with Diego Maradona, famous for his days at Boca Juniors. Uh, last name Irish and Scottish descent, obviously. His uncle, Patricio, also an accomplished footballer. And then Alexis's brothers, Francis and Kevin, Kevin McAllister, that's right, Kevin McAllister, uh, both play professionally. Alexis is the most accomplished, plays for Argentina, scores a goal for Argentina, and also plays at Brighton in the Premier League. But it, it was pretty cool for Argentina. They look a lot better. And Lionel Scaloni, uh, he's been adjusting on the fly. And it was pretty brave for him to bring in Julian Alvarez for Lautaro Martinez. And he also brought in Enzo Fernandez to, to make that substitution in the midfield for Guido Rodriguez. These are important moves. Lionel Scaloni adjusting on the fly, and it's working. He's handing it off to the kids. The two players that started at River Plate, Enzo and Julian, have both come up big in the last two games. Argentina surging forward, and they are in very good shape. We will see uh, where they go from this point forward, but they are, I think, on that top line again. And they get a dream run up against Australia and then either the Netherlands and the U.S. Argentina have to be thrilled. Semifinal could be Brazil, and that's one of the big matchups we're looking forward to. Quick point on Poland. They get beat up pretty good, but they make it through. They have a great goalkeeper, which makes them a dangerous team. Wojciech Szczesny, as we said, made two saves. After the game, had a great quote. He said, that was dreadful, awful, and awful, and wonderful. It was dreadful, it was awful, but at the end, the Poles are celebrating, and they move forward. Congratulations to them. We'll be right back on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. We want to talk Mexico uh, in a little more detail, so we'll do it here in the next segment. We will also preview the games in Group F, A, B, C, D, E, uh, Groups E and F. Those are coming your way next. We are back here on the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Recap one last game, Mexico, Saudi Arabia. Mexico wins 2-0. Best performance by Mexico in about a year, if not longer. It wasn't enough though, but man, they gave it a good charge. I think when you look at what they were able to do, they were dominating this game. They should have had four or five goals, two goals called offside. Chucky Lozano, bless his heart. The guy could not be working any harder to get a goal and he just couldn't get it. And now we, uh, we wonder what's next for, our, for Mexico. Let's look at the game really quickly. Again, so many chances. And they got the lineup right. And there was no Hector Herrera and no Andres Guardado. And that's my overlying theme for World Cups. The old guys, you've got us. Argentina have done it. And now uh, Mexico have done it. But they've done it too late. Give it to, and I'm not talking about giving it to a 19-year-old. You give it to a guy who's in that proper generation. 
Hector Hernandez Guardado, when you talk about four World Cups, five World Cups, it's too many World Cups. It's too many. This is a young person's game, and we saw that. And so many times with these older players, you put them in a lineup where you need to cover them a little bit with someone else. Everyone has their favorites. Tata Martino ran with those guys, and it fell short. Edson Alvarez in there. Uh, Luis Chavez maybe had the goal of the tournament, an incredible free kick. They got a goal from a forward in Henry Martin. That's all good news. And at the end, the goal differential, and by the way, 8,000 people reminded me on this on Twitter. Let's use Twitter differently. You don't have to give me updates. When you see the update already on, on a couple places, don't tweet that about the fair play. So Poland and Mexico had the same goal differential. Every data point was the same. So like the fifth or sixth tiebreaker was fair play, yellow cards. Mexico had seven yellow cards. Poland had four. They picked up a fifth, which means fair play got them through. I don't hate it. You've got to separate these teams somehow. Mexico and Poland tied each other. So there's no head to head factor in here. It's just the way it goes. So they didn't get the help from Argentina. I mean, Argentina scored a goal, and that would have put Mexico through. And by the way, I was thinking the whole time, Lionel Messi going, I could score for Mexico, but Canelo Alvarez thinks, oh, Canelo. Yeah, Canelo shouldn't have said anything. So uh, in the end, it is Poland going through at the expense of Mexico. Uh, again, good Luis Chavez should have been in there from the beginning. The Pachuca player is the good. Saudi Arabia just stopped playing, and they, but they didn't stop enough. Orbelin Pineda came in. I thought he played well, but he wasn't able to. Chucky Lozano was magnificent. He just couldn't score a goal. So Mexico is out of the groups for the first time since 1978. And now let's look at Mexico because there is, it's not a pretty situation. You don't have... Uh, great players. You might, but we don't know where they are. The amount of players playing in Europe, if we, we make a comparison to the United States, in the United States, the list keeps going. Americans are going and going, and it's made a difference, clearly. So you don't have players playing in Europe, and then your domestic league is really starting to sag. We saw the CONCACAF Champions League. MLS had the trophy. Seattle Sounders. I think MLS is going to win another one this year. And I think MLS is going to become the stronger league in these next five or six years. And that is a big reason why Liga MX is making relationships with MLS via the League's Cup. Because they know that's where the money's at. Lionel Messi is not going to go to Liga MX. He's rumored to be going to MLS. All the excitement is north of the border with the soccer league. Liga MX knows that. And that is why the relationships are happening. So you have that, you have the players, the player development's not where it needs to be. Some say, and I heard Hugo Sanchez saying this, that maybe, and I think both Mexico and USA should do this, making relationships with Comebol, the governing body of South America, and play more games against those countries and get involved in those tournaments with Brazil and Argentina and Colombia and Ecuador and Peru and you name it, Chile. Uruguay, it's, that is screaming to be done, but there's a lot of logistics to pull that off because it's a lot of travel and you wonder if the South Americans are going to sign off on it. They want Mexico and the USA. They don't want everybody else from CONCACAF, I can tell you that. International coaches. Some say that Mexico should hire a Mexican coach. 
they haven't had a lot of success with international coaches. Tata Martino, the latest. Juan Carlos Osorio, a Colombian, got him to the World Cup. Didn't get him to that quinto partido, which they would take right now. Mexico doesn't even get to a cuatro partido. You've had Sven Joran Eriksson. You have had a long list of coaches. Ricardo Lavolpe. I don't know if they've had the payoff. So maybe Mexican coaches. And there's good Mexican coaches there. It might be a retread. But that's the list. It's a long list for Mexico, but they're going to get cracking on it. I wish them all the best because a healthy Mexico is good for the U.S. Matches tomorrow. Group F. Croatia, Belgium. This is uh, dead even according to the sports book. Both are plus 170 to win. I think your money is there for a tie. Two, these older teams, we talked about it. These are at least their starting players are the two, two of the oldest teams out there. The golden generation of Belgium, the golden generation to a lesser degree of Croatia. The average age of the Belgian team that played against Morocco in the last game was 29. And the one young player, Amadou Onana, is suspended. So they might get older for this game against Croatia. Croatia's got 37-year-old Luka Modric. That midfield is where it really is locked in. We've talked about him. We've talked about Brozovic. We've talked about Kovacic. They're not old, but you know they, are, they lean into that a little bit in, in that case. Andrei Kramaric scored two goals against Canada. Croatia had that grudge match and were able to get through. Croatia look really good. They've been impressive. I didn't see them coming out of this group. They could win this group. This is a Belgian team that is really on a, a flatlining right now. So Croatia, I think, has to be aggressive. The uh, Belgium's kind of cracking in some, several places. We heard about the Kevin De Bruyne saying that they were too old to win a World Cup. And Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, of the big stars, he is the one guy that has not showed up at all. I mean, the big stars, really, Mbappe and Messi, Ronaldo, they've all kind of delivered. And then a few others around that as well. Yet, Kevin De Bruyne... Uh, has been a no-show. They need something from him, but he seems checked out to me. They asked Roberto Martinez, the coach from Belgium, about the too-old theory, and he said it was the first time I've heard about that comment. It's, uh, it's, it's something, right? There's something there. When you hear these quotes and you couple that with the Belgian performance, it feels a little it, it disconnected, and I, it doesn't bode well for Belgium, but they got three points, and if they get a good result here, even with a They'll, they could get through. I don't think a point. They're going to have to win this game. But that could get through. And the problem here is Croatia are, are coming in as underdogs. It's like Odalic, the, uh, the coach, saying, we are playing against the second best football team in the world. And they were at one point number one, which is all true. But this is, I think the FIFA rankings get it right a lot of the time. But they didn't get it right here. And Belgium has been sagging badly. And now we are here. This would be a big shock if they got knocked out. Uh, I, I think we get a tie here. But this Croatian team with a great opportunity to win a group, which helps your chances to make a quarterfinals. Remember, they were the losing World Cup final finalist in 2018. Finally, let's go to Canada and Morocco. Morocco, to me, one of the top stories here. Not just because they beat Belgium. Uh, they tied Croatia. So four points in those two games. But the way they play. And it's really exciting to see this team. Zero goals allowed. And they still have 
that attacking verve and they have a European type team, they can win or a draw they're in and they can even make it with a loss. So Canada looks to play spoiler and I'll tell you what, Croatia and Belgium are sure hoping that they do. Uh, it's a bummer that Canada's completely out. Didn't have to be this way. John Herdman has done so much to get people excited, to get this team qualified, to develop players. World Cup management, not so good. He really fell flat on his face on this one, mismanaged it from the beginning. And Canada, uh, it's a feel-good story. You don't want to mount too much pressure, but I say this all the time. You don't get to World Cups all the time, so when you're here, you better seize control of it. Look what Costa Rica did. Uh, they are looking to seize control of it. We'll see if they are able to do it. So Morocco got those four points. I think Canada, uh, they, may, they may make some changes. Let the kids play. Ismail Kone, get him in there. Dane St. Clair, play him at goal. Let these guys have that. Alistair Johnson saying we still have the whole country behind us. Canada is great. You can see it. I've seen from my Canadian followers, they're really into it and they're going to be into it to see if Canada can get their first World Cup point or first World Cup win. They lost all three games in 1986, so they're looking to maybe get over that hump. Uh, I want to say this quick thing about Hakim Ziyech. This is one of the exciting performers at the World Cup. He is the Chelsea player. He was out of favor with Morocco. He has now become a key force. It's interesting to see Ziyech and Christian Pulisic, who have been out of favor with Chelsea, both delivering here. Ziyech, to me, is one of the top 10 stories in this World Cup, and I hope he plays a role. I'd love to see him get a goal and Morocco win and possibly win this group, because now we're talking about a team that could go further than the round of 16. Morocco's good enough. Let's see them do it. I want Canada to get something too, but it's, we'll see. We'll see. Group E, these are the late games, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Japan and Spain. Spain, a huge favorite here. Japan really screwed themselves by losing to Costa Rica. Even a point there puts them in some pretty, in much better, sh well, I don't know. You certainly need to get something there. Uh, but now they have, I think they have to get something against, they have to get at least a point here. Or uh, they're probably packing their bags because you would think Germany beats Costa Rica. Japan could tie this but they have a plus one goal edge over Germany. So they have to hope even if Germany beats Costa Rica, it's just by one goal. Um, this is a, it's interesting as I wanted to talk about scoreboard watching. This is since 19, after 1982, you have the final group games played simultaneously. So you can't uh, manufacture a result. And that goes back to the 1982 game. It was called the uh, Disgrace of Gijón in Spain when West Germany and Austria conspired to play to a one-zip victory which put both of them through and knocked Algeria out. That can't happen anymore. It won't happen in the modern game, would it? Luis Enrique, he says tiredness is becoming a factor. Sergio Busquets is carrying a yellow. He, uh, he knows that he doesn't want the Spanish team to lose the, their focus. I think Luis Enrique has done a fantastic job should have hung on against the Germans. They had the lead. They let it get away from them. He made some adjustments, bringing in Alvaro Morata. And he's got a very busy bench. I think Morata starts this game. Ferran Torres, he's a bench player at this point. But also Spain have a lot of good options. A couple of things I like about this Spanish team as well. Rodri, who's a midfielder for Man City. He's been great central defender. I want to keep seeing that because he's, he's just a, he's a midfielder playing defense. He hits balls around there. It's exciting to see if he can uh, continue that 
uh, progress. Hajime Moriyasu says this about Japan. If players can play 100% of potential, then results will fall. Uh, style of play for Japan is positive here. Spain will have a lot of possession. They'll go, go, go. More than any team Japan will face, certainly more than Germany. Uh, and then Japan will be ready to pounce. They are very disciplined and they like to punish mistakes. They have that mid-press there and they can counterattack very well. They did that against Germany. They'll look to do that against Spain. It's going to take a big effort. I'd love to see the Japanese stick around, but they had to beat Costa Rica and they didn't do that. Costa Rica and Germany, maybe we're underestimating Costa Rica. But look, this is, we keep talking about Costa Rica in 2014. They made the quarterfinals. Yes. But they're almost in every World Cup. They also made it to the round of 16 in 1990. They were in a group. They lost by a goal to Brazil. And then they finished ahead of Scotland and Sweden. They played Czechoslovakia, which is what it was known as back then, and made the round of 16. So Costa Rica is not a flash in the pan. And even when they don't make the knockouts, they're competitive. That's why the loss to Spain was at 7-1 or 7-0 was such an eye-opener. We saw more of a Costa Rica team, and Luis Fernando Suarez, the coach, said, we didn't come to sit around and take pictures of Qatar. It's going to be a defensive grind. They don't have uh, Francisco Calvo, who's suspended, but they are, they're going to try and complicate things for Germany, and Germany hasn't really seen anything like they have seen against this, this Costa Rica team. So uh, Costa Rica can actually win the group. If Spain, Japan tie and Costa Rica win it, they got that 81st minute goal from Keisher Fuller. Uh, Costa Rica is not going to touch the ball in this game, unfortunately. But it doesn't mean they can't get a result, as we have seen already in this tournament and in previous tournaments. They just don't have the personnel. You want to see Germany really stake their ground and go for it and let the, the attractive players break it through. Uh, and maybe another goal from Nicholas Fulkrug, who came off the bench. He wants to start this game. Remember, this is a guy who made his Germany debut two weeks ago. He was kind of an emergency player. He's come in and scored a goal. He's made Hansi Flick look good. And now Germany, I expect them to really take this game with a scruff of the neck. Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Check us out every day during the World Cup. Here to help you along the way. Check out my social media handles. Make sure you can, if you're on the drive, you can listen to the Soccer OG World Cup Daily where all podcasts are available. We'll be back tomorrow with the USA Preview. And the guests are coming, I'm telling you.